Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 223, episode 2 of Your Daily Zeitgeist, a production of iHeartRadio. This is a podcast where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness. Yeah, let's go with that. It is Tuesday, February 2022. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. Let's see if we can get this back on track going. Sometimes I say play on online games. Catch me on the Wordle scores. I get it less than three. Say you did better. <laughs> claim you didn't cheat. I know you use Google Boy because I can't be beat. That is courtesy of Alpal at Rumham McDuck. That is Wordle-based paper planes, a.k.a. Just as MIA intended it. It's based on some, somebody, once I scared, shared a Wordle score, and they straight up said, I don't believe you. I think you cheat. And How would you possibly cheat at Wordle? I mean, you could very easily. You could just Google right first thing in the morning, what's the word today? Oh, it would be boo. the most depressing thing I could, I could possibly imagine <laughs> is doing that and then sharing your score. But... <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, I'm thrilled to. I do. I do cheat, but that's between the three of us and our entire listening yeah. base. I, I go right. first thing I do when I wake up in the morning: Google what's the Wordle thing, and then share it out. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined by today's special guest co-host, a producer behind shows like Fake Doc, Real Friends, and Welcome to Our Show. You've heard her on Pop Culture Happy Hour and read her at Vulture, The AV Club, Team Vogue, Pace many more. She is the brilliant and talented Joelle Monique! Hey! A.K.A. the Marvel Defender. She's back. She is the Marvel Defender. Are you Are you defending anything in the Marvel Universe of late? Is there anything? I can, to- I can continue my defense of the Disney Empire to a certain extent. Disney so, Marvel but, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Disney well, Plus. Okay. Dis- Disney Star Wars stuff. So, so like, Marvel Moon Knight is coming to save us. I'm really excited. It's going to be great. It's got. Why am Oscar I blinking Isaac. on his? Thank you. I, uh, yeah. Giving us his wild British accent. So that should be fun. In the meantime, we have Book of Boba Fett, which a lot of people have been frustrated by because he disappeared for two episodes. But first, they were upset that he was in too many episodes. So you can't really trust a Star Wars fan, is mm. what we've learned. Yes. And I think, listen... And this this are, is the first time we're learning that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> There's never been any indication before to this, this point, exact date. they've been spotless, <laughs> uh, in my opinion. I like the choices that are being made over there, except for now I'm concerned that Disney's ultimate plan is to get rid of performers entirely and just use their black, backlogged performances. They'll just run it through a computer there's no voice acting. Okay, listen, small spoiler alert. If you're not caught up on Book of Boba Fett, you just go ahead and you skip 10 seconds. Luke Skywalker comes back in and he it's young Luke. Mark Hamill, still alive, not asked to do any performance. Not the body work, not the voiceover work. I get that they are trying some things. I really appreciate their dedication to technology and advancing that work because it's interesting and it's sort of exciting in a lot of ways to be like, oh my God, that's the character in the timeline. Impressive. Um, but also I think actors are going to have to rewrite their contracts and be like, you don't get to use my voice or past performances with you for entirely new things we never even thought about before. You can't revive me when I'm dead. That stuff is going to be written down. And I think um, legally speaking, it will be an interesting territory going forward. Yeah. I, just based on your description, I'm picturing that young Luke Skywalker speaks like the like text to speech app. It's just like, hello, <laughs> it is me, Luke Skywalker. And <laughs> nobody can tell me otherwise. Joelle, we are thrilled to be joined by one of our favorite guests. She's the host of the Smart Mouth podcast. Uh, she used to run the food section of L.A. Weekly and is just an all around brilliant traveling food writer. It's Catherine Spear. Catherine. Yay. Hi. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> What's up? Welcome, welcome. It's great Thank to have you, you back. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I've been outside of LA for the past three weeks, so this is like me diving right back in to LA. Yes, the most LA thing that you can possibly do is guest Just... on our uh, Zoom-based podcast. That's I right. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is going to be actually a, a somewhat LA-ish episode. We're going to talk about a a new LA magazine article that is 
not great. <laughs> so not 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 their finest work. Yep. Uh, I actually don't t- tend to read LA magazine, but they're like rich people are scared. What do we do? So that's what we're going to talk about at what yes. point. But before, uh, how, what, where were you traveling to? Well, I was in Utah, which I think maybe the last time I was on this show, I was in Utah also because my parents lived, moved there a few years ago. And with the pandemic and all, I'm like, I could go spend some time in the country. So that's mm. been sort of a nice mm. snowy annual break from L.A. that I've been doing. There you go. Yeah. And as a food writer, what, what excites you about Utah? Okay, so Salt Lake City is actually way cooler than like even the residents of Salt Lake City know. And it has such a diverse array of restaurants. It actually reminds me of L.A. in the sense that like it's just endless strip malls. The city itself is not pretty. But in those strip malls are all kinds of interesting restaurants. I had Afghan food for the very first time in Salt Lake last week. And it was great. So, yeah, that's what's cool about that place. Damn. When I picture, I was like kind of teeing you up to be like nothing. Because when I picture Utah, I picture <laughs> casseroles and milk. That and is that also is true. Fucked up. I should not. Casseroles um, and milk. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The LDS of it, like they have so many potlucks and the casseroles are supposed to be legit. Zeitgang from Utah have repped Utah food to us every once in a while. Oh, but I didn't I can't imagine that there's like a ton of uh, casseroles and milk restaurants out there. Yeah, I suppose that's less <laughs> restaurant food. But yeah, they have this one casserole that's famous because it's called funeral potatoes because people just always bring them to funerals. Mm. And it's basically just like potato, potato, potato with a layer of cornflakes on top. There you like, go. It's good for uh-huh. sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Can't even fathom it are is it like crispy potatoes or mashed potatoes what is the texture that's because if you bake a cornflake it gets mushy no i think you might add the cornflakes at the very end i think Uh aha okay Mm. all right but also people sometimes like do it up with their preferred type of potato like maybe it's a mashed Mm. potato maybe it's a tater tot casserole you don't know Mm. and maybe instead of cornflakes it's Lucky Charms, you know, yeah, who knows? Yeah, get, get creative. Fruit Loops. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, Catherine, we are going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners a couple of the things we're talking about. We are going to talk about that L.A. Mag article that is garbage, a bad article. But we'll we'll kind of go through some of the the key points made, uh, the the writing even. We are going to, of course, talk about more evidence that Joe Rogan is a racist right wing dipshit and also check in with like celebrities who seem like they're more willing to forgive than maybe they should be. So all that plenty more. But first, Catherine, we do like to ask our guest, what is something from your search history? Oh, I was researching in quotes um, all the mental health apps and what they do with all the data. Mm. They do all kinds of stuff with it because the terms and conditions are very loose, obviously, on purpose. But what was particularly interesting is I came across this article by someone named Alexandra Levine in Politico, and it's about a particular app called Crisis Text Line. And it's so fascinating. They scrape the data of, like, your name and your birthday, but then they send it to, like, tech companies that want their AI customer service bots to come across as more empathetic. And they use the findings from the um, therapy sessions to make the bots more empathetic, which is so creepy and awful. But I'm glad I know about it. (laughs) So they they find out that you are just using the app in general. And then from Uh that, they send it to the tech companies and they're like, this is somebody who values their mental health and therefore we're going to make Siri nicer to them. That's one way of doing it. But I also think they have like researchers in there being like, oh, so when someone says this to someone, this is how they react. And they like they're making like it's not so personalized. They're like, overall, let's have our customer service bots not be dicks to people. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I got to wonder, like, it just seems like one of those things that like a tech company would think of instead of just writing the scripts in a nice way in the first place. They're like, we got to buy people's people's facts and data to figure out how to do this. I personally, I like some tough love for my Alexa. I want do you to, really? Yeah, just tell me I'm. I look like shit today when I <laughs> uh, greet her in the morning. Does she do that yet? Has she figured <laughs> you out yet? Oh yeah. Oh, nice. She's all over me. 
Nice. Yeah, no, that does seem like a fairly uh, easy one to if you're just like cranking the personality in one direction or the other. I, I would think nice would be would be kind of a an easy an easy A for them. You would think, but I guess some programmers have to like be given charts to prove that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I also yeah. think it's probably about being more personal because bots are just neutral. Right. It's typically not mean or or anything, just neutral. And I think most likely by giving them empty technology, it's like, can, can that sorry sound genuinely sorry? And what's the tone and inflection? Do we up that like 60 percent? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think they're neutral according to whoever wrote the program. Right. Like legitimate. the inherent bias. So like, yeah, maybe maybe they are really rude and they have to be tweaked so many times before they can even be like baseline kind. <laughs> Oh right. Goodness. I'm sorry, as <laughs> Luke Skywalker once said. Right. In a... Instead of sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what is something you think is overrated? Well, right now I'm going to say Shake Shack because I'm in particular pissed that they're building one in my neighborhood and I just don't uh, want it here. So mm. I, I overrated. Get out of here. Is it a New York to L.A. thing? Is it a this line will be wrapped around my block and I don't need all these people here thing? Yeah, it's the fact that I live in Silver Lake and it's just there's a Lululemon in Silver Lake now. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. here we go. This is it. And then, you know, a week later, they're like, and a Shake Shack. No, not my neighborhood. I gentrified this. I don't want it to continue to be gentrified. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) As someone who formerly lived in a super cute neighborhood in Chicago and then suddenly saw like, oh, no, there's a Jenny's there now. Here it comes. It's white moms. (laughs) Run. Yeah. It's over. (laughs) It's rough. I don't care for it. (laughs) Jenny's. Jenny's and Shake Shack. I do feel like those are the ones that everyone's like, all right, that's cool. Like the like the people who aren't, you know, so averse to gentrification will be like, oh, but Shake Shack's good. And yeah, I mean, Silver Lake, Silver Lake is full of that right now. Like we have a location of Tartine, which is a famous San Francisco bakery. It's like, okay, it's just like it's from San Francisco. It's family owned, but they're also very anti-union. I don't know. Mm. You can't win. You can't win. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With corporations. It's yeah. Generally tough to to find a reliably good one to root for. It's so true. Yeah. Do you and as a food person, do you just generally are you are you kind of not not into the offerings of Shake Shack or you think it's just kind of how what are your thoughts there? I think Shake Shack is tastes very good. I personally get sick every time I eat there. That's my personal oh, journey. No. So that's another part of it, too. It's like, well, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I don't want it. <laughs> right. God, you yeah. have high standards. You don't want to get sick from the food. I'm the worst. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm the snobbiest. I say, like that, that's something that I think people just wrote off Taco Bell as like the, the food that makes you sick every time you go there. But I... <laughs> That like it is not one of the fast foods that makes me sick, and I would somewhat agree that Shake Shack. I I don't feel great after I eat it. That's for sure. Really? Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's like very rich. It's like I I feel that way in general. If I eat a really like rich meal at a restaurant as opposed to like a fast food place, like I feel worse than I do if I just like eat a straightforward meal at Taco Bell, like what I usually get at Taco Bell. Huh. So I don't know if it's just like they're it's so rich, like so professionally rich. They've like just <laughs> crammed butter into every single fold. That, but yeah, I mean, not that Taco Bell's good for you, right? But I we also like react to things differently, and I think we're probably each one of us is like more allergic to, to some kind of oil than another. Right. Yeah. Is my feel- guess. I feel like the second life of food would be like a good like you don't you don't see that as much on like scores like on like Yelp or whatever is like and then for the six hours after you ate there what was your life like <laughs> unless it's like real bad and then in which case like you you'll it'll get mentioned but I like that that's a good metric yeah, yeah. you're right it's underexplored for sure yeah Joel Shake Shack any fan. Uh, was excited when they first came to L.A. It's like a New York thing before. We were like, oh, it was Shake Shack. It's better than In-N-Out. 
if we want to start those wars, it is better than In and Out. I'm sorry. <laughs> this I is way more expensive. In and Out hype. Yeah. <laughs> In and Out is a value proposition, like at its core. Like that's yeah. what. That's that the only time true. it makes it makes sense to me when people are like, In and Out is like the the best it's like four you have an argument if you're talking about like four per penny it might be the best fast food but i don't sure. think yeah i don't think it compares like shake shack is a higher price point than most fast foods right yeah yes. i think they're basically like we might as well just not compare them like you said yeah right, they're two right. totally different things we can yeah. like them all yeah and super producer becca who lives in new york is team in and out so, you know, it makes sense. I, I think we, I probably liked Shake Shack way b- before it was more back when it was not available in Los Angeles. You know, it was like, damn, I, ha- I smelled it once when I was walking <laughs> by an absurdly long line in New York. <laughs> but yeah, and then like once it was something that we could get every once in a while for lunch at the office back when we all worked in the same office it be i like found myself being like okay like that's an option right what or else is I available could, yeah where i could have the rest of my day like sitting upright and <laughs> feeling okay <laughs> about myself and just what is uh what's something you think is underrated Catherine? um i was thinking probably because of the news but buying music like actually paying money and then owning a copy of the song or the album that you paid money for, mm. even if it's still just digital, like actually paying for it. Mm. I, people make straight up make fun of me for still having iTunes, like the old version that you have to like pay one twenty nine a song for. And I'm like, excuse me, I'm helping artists. So you get to feel smug about it, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Catherine, have I got an NFT offering for you? Um, it's called, no, I'm just kidding. This is my friend Hector uh, Navarro, who's a iHeart host. He does the Avatar The Last Airbender series. But he is a big proponent of, like, listen, you have to own DVDs. Don't let them control when you can and cannot see a movie. Suddenly it's not on the streaming platform. Even if you buy it on a streaming platform, if they decide not to carry that in their library, your purchase just disappears into thin air. It's not authentic. You're, until recently... Most spaces didn't harbor any, like, or most spaces didn't host any of their additional content from the DVD. So the director's commentary, which can be a whole wealth of, like, information. Original trailers, which if you're, like, I love a trailer, especially the evolution. The 90s had it trailers covered. That was when we got our big, deep announcer voice guy to tell us the coming attractions. But there's, like, a lot of important history stored on DVDs. His library is he he literally has a DVD library where you as a friend can come over and check out a DVD or a comic book. It's the best thing ever, but it's completely turned me on to being like, oh, I really need to have physical hard materials if I really want to like respect and value the art form. So I'm totally with it is an underrated experience to be like, I'm gonna pop in this DVD and like see just what's on here. Like what other treasures besides the movie are sitting in here. I love that. I- I love that he, like, has a lending library. That's adorable. He's the best. <laughs> it's, so, it's so cute. And then, you know, Hector's one of those guys who can tell you then the history. He's just, in, like, a living oral history of the film, too. And you're like, yeah, like, inform me, buddy. Uh, <laughs> love the learning. So, yeah, definitely buy hard copies of the things you love. That's Yay. Great... Yeah. And the, the trailers is something that I hadn't really fully thought about that was always something i'd be like why are they showing this at the beginning of a dvd like that's so annoying and now i would kill to have those old dvds that have just like a random like why is there a she's all that trailer at the beginning (laughs) of this uh, action movie the old old fbi warnings which are just now classic yeah 2000s like dodgy shaky you wouldn't steal a car would you oh Give me yeah. all the life. It's beautiful. <laughs> I wonder if you can get DVDs like at Goodwill or something. Like where's you the best place can. to find them? Okay. If you run into an old video store, there's some still lurking out there. A lot of times they'll have them. Becca suggests Half Price Books, which is also a great place to get them. If you happen to live near an old record store that's still operational, you can get DVDs in most of those spaces. And then, of course, 
if you are have to go to a box store, any of them will have just a giant bin of like, here's just a giant thing of DVDs. <laughs> right. You can also rent uh, DVDs from the library. Right. But in at. terms of owning it, you know, oh, you just don't give it yeah. back. Right. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. Oh, yeah. okay. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Got yeah, it. yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those greedy libraries. What are they going <laughs> to leave us alone? <laughs> yeah. The I. I my younger sister is still big into the DVDs. I got her 10 for Christmas and Whoa. going shopping for them was just one of the more enjoyable like media buying experiences. I did get them at Barnes and Noble because that's just it was there. Uh-huh. But so not at least it's not Amazon, but that's a very, very low bar. <laughs> Speaking of low bars it's like when john stewart said that joe rogan isn't as bad as tucker carlson and therefore he's okay it's like mm, still still not great man still. yeah but at least you were buying physical media like you were right. doing things that are good so i think yeah. cumulatively you came out ahead yeah anyways good times had by all let's take a quick break and we'll be right back And we're back. And yeah, so we don't usually do a lot of local news on this show, but this is, I feel like, a fairly good microcosm for the way that America is dealing with the current moment. And, you know, there's a, in many cities, there's a slight to pronounced increase in crime, but police departments across the country are spending billions of dollars to get people on board with the idea that. The reason there's a slight increase in crime is because people showed support for the idea that Black Lives Matter, like that seems to be their thesis on it, <laughs> and that they've been like that their budgets have been slashed instead of still being massive. And so in L.A., uh, there's a progressive district attorney who was elected during the demonstrations of 2020 and is now facing a second very energetic and well-funded recall campaign being funded by not just like conservatives, but also like George Clooney's producing partner and like various Hollywood rich people who are of the opinion that uh, L.A. is just crime is out of control. So that is what this L.A. magazine article is about. It is authored by a person whose background is in real estate reporting for, I think, The Hollywood Reporter. Real estate tends to, you know, especially reporting on real estate tends to put you in into contact with a bunch of very rich people whose entire sort of worldview is underpinned by the idea of private property and protecting private property. So that was helpful context for me. Like, after I read it, I was like, wait, who the fuck wrote this? But anyways, so the article buries some statistical like nuance in paragraphs and paragraphs of just unsourced complaints from rich people. Like I could summarize one, but I think I should just read this one, like quote, a direct quote from somebody who they're using as a source to prove that L.A. is out of control. Quote, I have to get an armed driver to go out at night, and I'm constantly checking my rear view to make sure I'm not being followed, complains the wife of a prominent Bel Air financier. I don't dare wear jewelry or nice bags when I go out. It's no fun in this town anymore. If this continues <laughs> much longer, I'm moving to Palm Beach. I'm moving to... Get on, Darling. girl. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Nobody wants you in this city. LA rich people are so spoiled. Like, oh. the idea that not not just their wealth has spoiled them, but also just this idea that there's a port near me. It's terrifying. I, I don't know what to do. I saw a tent on the ground today, and it's mm. chaos out here. Like, every other city, like, there's a pretty, like... From classes have to intermingle regularly, but because our transit system has been set up the way it's been set up, there are pockets in Los Angeles County that just aren't touched, you know, or it's it's a difficult journey to make if you don't have funds. And I don't even mean like, you know, unhoused. I'm talking about like 
Just trying to get a bus into Beverly Hills is an ordeal. It is an ordeal to try to get to Beverly Hills. If you if you have to work there, if you have an interview around there, it's it's a nightmare. And it's it's kind of it's it's not shocking, but it's still extremely disturbing to be like, this has been happening not that far away from you guys for a very long time. Like, I don't know if you've been to Skid Row, but it's <laughs> a nightmare of a human rights condition. Like it's 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 awful for people who have no place else to go to have to gather there and then be treated so cruelly. <laughs> this yeah, actually, this quote reminds me of when I was in college, I used to nanny for some rich people in Montecito, California, and they had lived in the Hollywood Hills in the early 90s. And the patriarch of the family I nannied for telling me that during the L.A. riots, he and all of all all the other dudes in the neighborhood like drove their cars down to the end of the street and blockaded it with their cars and stood on top of their cars with their guns. And it's just like that was just the most exciting thing that's ever happened to you, wasn't it? This is so fun for you. In the same way that this woman saying that she can't wear jewelry out is just the best thing that's ever happened to her. Right. So exciting. It's so exciting. I mean, it's a I jolt. Move to, right. And Palm Beach being like, ugh, can you imagine? That quote, I'm not saying this quote is made up. I am absolutely not saying it, but it sure does <laughs> sound like it. Like, I think that who still talks this way? No one I know. <laughs> I think I think you would make this quote up if you were intending to make fun of it. But the right. fact that this is used as evidence, like, so the article has this pattern of it will like give a a bunch of like anecdotal shit about like this rich party got robbed and this rich woman was murdered like at her house in I think it was in Beverly Hills and you know anecdotal stuff and then they'll be like but here's evidence that like this is actually just some sensational anecdotal stuff that you know statistics say is sort of a small rise that is in no way comparable to past crime waves in Los Angeles, like very recently, this would be something that you would be really happy with. But the police are really trying to do everything in their power to make people feel like the DA and the social justice movement have like turned Los Angeles into just a hellscape. And it's it's working. It really feels like it's working. Yeah, like whole strategy. I actually quit next door shortly after Gascon was elected because people like it got to be too much. I had to sign off for my mental health. But before he was in office, people were talking about how now the city was crime ridden and the cops won't respond because of Gascon. But he wasn't in office yet. So before he even had any authority, people were like, oh, here we go. It's the end times. Yeah, they just made it up. People are so comfortable just making things up. Yeah, the police also would respond to requests for, you know, help or wellness checks or any anything would respond to those calls by saying, sorry, we've been defunded before that was even remotely true and still has not to this point been true in any significant way that would prevent them from doing their job. But I mean, the police frequently look for reasons not to have to work. Like, right. like, try tell if you've been robbed, try going to a police. It's hilariously unhelpful. They're right. like, oh, you were robbed? So the items are gone? Oh, we can't. What can we do? What do you want from us? Why are we here? I have video camera footage. Right. We could, right. We could maybe you look at it. it. People are dying. Do you know that people are murdered? I do. But also, you know, items were stolen. <laughs> that equaled a lot. They're like, well, we're just not here for that kind of stuff. No help at all. The police just a terrible organization. Yeah. Oh, my friend's house was broken into once and the cops were she called the cops and they were looking around and they're like, well, sorry, we don't see any evidence anywhere. And she's like, how about the matching footprints going up the exterior wall and down the interior wall? And they were like, nah, you probably made those. <laughs> mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're comfortable saying that stuff. They really don't care. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be scary knowing the days of uh, an age-old institution is the only place you thought you were going to work are ending. But it's coming. <laughs> yeah. But I feel this is, I do think that this is a formidable, like, counter that they're waging with, like, the mainstream media, the local news, and a billions of it. Like, as much as they like to claim that they're 
uh, budget has been slashed, their budget is actually still incredibly high, so high mm-hmm. that they have like a 60-person PR division that is working on this shit around the clock to get stories like this written. I do just what, because the level of writing on this is so bad that I just have to kind of keep pushing through. So at, what's, at one point, he talks about how Next Up and Citizen are actually causing a lot of, you know, the fact that the social media has had to come in where local reporting used to do a job. I, don't, I wouldn't say they used to do a great job, but he claims that these are apps that were meant as well-meaning places for neighbors to connect. Whereas, like, one of them, I think Citizen, is actually, like, offering a version of the app that gives you access to a private security team. Mm -hmm. So it's all just, it's exactly what, it's so dystopian. Like, the fact that he's trying to paint a picture of a dystopian landscape, but, like, he is... He's the bad guy in the dystopia, <laughs> like, and the stuff that he's, like, talking about is so blatant, but he's just talking about the, the wrong part of it in the wrong way. So, like, at one point he says, on the one hand, there's the L.A. Times, which argued in December 15th, he talks about an L.A. Times article that puts the supposed crime wave in perspective. The paper then doubled down with an editorial you know, he gives a really bad faith summary of the editorial, but those are two articles that are based on fact and statistics. But then he has a much longer paragraph. On the other hand, there are people like Mark DeBaugh, former president of the L.A. Association of Deputy District Attorneys, called that article bullshit, or L.A. Police Chief Michael Moore, who, you know, talked about there's a surge in crime and expanding the LAPD And then at one point, he's like, we're James McBride, director of LAP, uh, Los Angeles Police Protective League, which you can tell already that that person (laughs) is a trustworthy down the down the middle individual who made national news this fall when he warned tourists not to come to L.A. during Christmas, comparing it to the Purge movies. Granted. So at the end of that. Granted, McBride, a vocal Trump supporter with an alarming on duty shooting (laughs) record and a daughter. (laughs) M-Dash, also a cop, M-Dash, who is under investigation for shooting an unarmed motorist, parentheses, six times in 2020, kind of fits the description of the right-wing fake news spreader that Times was referring to, period. But still, period. That's that's how <laughs> they end. But still is not a but sentence. But still. I didn't know that was a thing a journalist could, like, I didn't know the phrase but still I guess the sentence, the complete sentence, but still was a tool in the journalistic tool bag. But that's the level of what we're dealing with. And because it's so much more well-funded than any sort of social justice work, it is uh, seems to be succeeding in some places. So I try to give journalists the benefit of the doubt because I'm a journalist and I don't think that there's any like big background conspiracy to get journalism as a whole to like support the cops or anything like that. But LA coverage of crime lately has been so weird. There was not an editorial, but an article by staff writers. Do you remember last month when that off-duty LAPD cop was killed like at night? He had been house hunting with his fiance and a car rolled up on him with four people and they all shot at him. Do you remember this? I don't anyway, know. That's something that happened last month. And a lot of people on Twitter were like, he was house hunting at 9 p.m., which for people who don't know, 9 p.m. in L.A. in the winter is pitch black. And like <laughs> and it was people are like, this sounds suspicious. And the cop, the LAPD was like, he went to college like they were being classist in it. Like literally when people right. are like, this is suspicious. That was their answer. He went to Berkeley. So he was on the up and up. But then this article in the Times, again, not an op-ed, said, online activists and police critics who didn't know Arroyos but take issue with the LAPD's legacy of abuses have tried to dismiss his death, lobbing out assumptions about its cause based on little more than their own negative perceptions of the LAPD and anyone who joins it. Mm-hmm. What? Why? Cool. Why did they write that? I I genuinely was like, I don't know what, why, who, you're like, you're not defending LAPD. You're like simping for them in a very immature and strange way. And it upsets me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have a massive PR wing, the LAPD, like more, and it's grown and 
you know, increased in funding and uh, size since the, you know, Black Lives Matter protests of 2020. And yeah, there. I, I also think there is just a really longstanding and, you know, it kind of makes sense at a level, like a, a kind of relationship between journalists and police because police can give you the scoop on the shit that like your editor wants you to write about in a lot of cases, which is like crime. And they are also like what in the same way that police are unfortunately in America, like when you call, like if somebody's having a mental health crisis, if somebody's having a health crisis, if somebody's, if your house is on fire, like all these things, you call the same number. And like a lot of times the police are dispatched I think the journalists have a similar situation where, like, they are the people that they go to for everything. And so there's just this, like, sort of relationship of, like, withholding and giving information that is probably not helpful for the purposes of, like, people who are not the police. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do want to just continue to tear this person's writing to shreds. So there's one sentence where they talk about, or one paragraph where they talk about how, like, the crime is actually way, way down from the 90s and 1992. There were 2,589 homicides in Los Angeles, six times more than there were in 2021. End paragraph. Still, something is going on because it certainly feels as if the Joker has ridden into town. So... (sighs) Is Prince here? Are you afraid? <laughs> I didn't know. I'm excited. The Halloween parade always looks fantastic. I look forward to penguins and a giant like ice sheet. I yeah. love Batman. Let's do it. The Joker has come to town. I just wonder, truly, because it, it seems mostly like it's come through in the pandemic. Like, I'm stuck on wealthy people being like, it's wild here, but it's like if you had lived in any other part of the city at any point in time, you'd be like, wow, we really have an issue with unhoused people not having homes, which is wild when we think about how many vacant spaces and buildings that are here ready to go that could support these people. I wonder why we don't do something about it. It seems so strange to me that it took a pandemic when we're all forced inside to be like, oh, there's an issue here. Right. Yeah, I mean, the city has a massive problem. Crime is a symptom of that problem. But, you know, it's inequality and violent policing are like the two major problems that are driving everything. And this article suggests that violent policing might be the solution, which is really like after laying out all these great examples of of evidence that points in the right direction, they, they just keep laying on the anecdotal over and over. Like, I think he kind of gives himself up at the end because he talks about how there's a viral video of an unhoused woman with a pickaxe dragging her shopping cart around a Rite Aid and shouting expletives and customers kind of just give her her distance. And then around the same time, the, the writer writes, the CVS in Hollywood was ransacked by over 100 looters. Uh, this was a highly publicized thing that you know, the LAPD was able to get placed in papers across the country because it mm. made it seem like, I don't know, there was this massive new, like, Prohibition era style, like, robbery wave that was coming. And it was a few isolated incidents. But he is mad that people just kind of give them their space. And he he's like, this is where we are in L.A. right now, folks. Scared, confused, upset, but also shockingly inured to what became of our, what has become of our city. Not just our city, but the whole of America, where even those sworn to uphold the law and the Constitution sometimes seem to have nothing but contempt for it. No big deal. Nothing to see here. Like, maybe we're more concerned about human lives than CVS's bottom line. And, like, I don't know, that somebody's having a mental health crisis is more of what we see in that situation than like somebody call the police and like shoot this person like it's it's just fucking i don't know that that seems person to be assigned to cover corporate theft of workers next right exactly focus on (laughs) wait let's see where the crisis really is and what's really going on buddy it you mean non-credible sources the the whole 
like you shoulder shrugged in your article on facts and then got mad that everyone else was like that woman probably just needs some space and a little bit of help like wow (laughs) right yeah maybe this is what a group chat is for or a better (laughs) editor right but i yeah the the front page of the article or the front page of the la magazine that edition is like a screaming white woman looking through her blinds at like what she sees outside (laughs) yeah no the cover image is out of control if anyone wants to go to their twitter i think it's still their header image it's shocking they went for it and again they went for it so hard it seems like they're joking but they're definitely not they're breaking in their boots is la magazine the one that was acquired and immediately fired all of its staff no that was me at la weekly i'm so sorry no that's Mm. okay But yeah, they I don't I don't know who's owning things or who's given editorial direction, but it really seems like that's why I went to the article in the first place. I was like, wait, this must be like a joke about like panic and like how wrong people have gotten the story. But instead, it is this. It's the counter is maybe inequality is a bigger problem than how nervous you and the people you golf with feel when you wear diamonds around people who are having trouble feeding their family. That's all you need to say, and it doesn't hold up. As, like, a slightly above casual observer of LA Magazine the past couple years, I do think the editor-in-chief has a particular point of view that is very, like, kind of starfuckery, very grubby, like, grasping, wants to be part of what he thinks the cool crowd is, and also, I think, has a sort of 1990s sensibility about, like, Mm. what's cool. I don't think he's really kept up with the times yeah yeah all right well that was that article if you can find it and read it i suggest you don't i think we gave you everything (laughs) everything you really need to know but you know by all means let's take a quick break and we'll be right back and we're back And last weekend was a lot of people realizing Joe Rogan is racist on social media and like kind of at their own pace. Like there there were, you know, John Stewart had come out and been like, everybody needs to like stop making such a big deal about like Mm -hmm. the Rogan thing. And that was a week after at least we had seen and talked about the thing where he like does a wildly racist riff on like going to see the movie Planet of the Apes on Alex Jones's like podcast network. So somebody did a compilation of all the times that Joe Rogan used the N word on his podcast. I had not seen that. I had uh, assumed that was who he was based on like that clip that we had talked about a couple weeks back uh, was plenty seemed like oh okay this this is a racist person but that caused a lot of people to start noticing that like just all the clips of all the racist shit that he had said and yeah i don't know it it just seemed like a lot of i don't know it's a lot of people coming coming to a reckoning with uh their opinion on joe rogan which is Important. I know The Rock and his entire team are so embarrassed. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. It's one thing to be a white dude falling all over yourself to be like, he's not that bad. Like, mm-hmm. please, if you hate him, what's going to happen when you start looking at my old stuff? It's very scary for me. I get it. It's okay. But to be literally The Rock, like the last, maybe the last living movie star, Tom Holland's making a gun for it to be this generate, like between Tom Holland and Zendaya, they're like, Maybe we can relaunch movie stardom. The Rock, you didn't have to say anything, The Rock. You could have privately supported Joe Rogan and been like, just sent him a quick little text and been like, hey, buddy, I got your back. I see you out here. It's fine. But you went and you made it public. And how embarrassing for you. It's just, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand the popularity of Joe Rogan, period. I just think maybe he was early adapter status and people were like, oh, that's the guy that does a podcast thing. And now I'm getting into podcasts, so I have to like go check through his podcast first before I explore the large world of podcasting. Hopefully that ends now. I think there was a lot of people sort of side-eyeing Spotify and being like, "Is I know his show does good numbers, but is it worth all of those dollars, does it make sense? It didn't. And now they're paying for it. I just feel like this is very, um, if we're going to have one win Black History Month, this is fine. I'll take <laughs> this. 
This is somewhat right. satisfactory. One thing I've seen in defense of Joe Rogan is people being like, oh, none of you actually care about the N-word. This is just you're mad about the COVID stuff, which is so simple-minded <laughs> thinking to me. Can we be mad about mo- both? I think right. we can. I think we can think both things are gross. Also, don't project you're not caring to everybody else's <laughs> <Right>. not caring. <laughs> right. Random internet user. You don't right. really care about the... I care a whole fucking lot about the N-word and who's saying it. You don't care and you're mad it's being called out. Or maybe in a larger space, the people you've surrounded yourself with have convinced you that no one cares. But that's not reality. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder how much of this is... Like you're saying, early adopter and, you know, he has Elon Musk on and everybody fucking loves Elon Musk. And so that, you know, shoots him up in popularity. And how much of this is like this is not a bug. It's a feature like this is part part of why people like him is that, I don't know, white men in America are showing their ass repeatedly for the past like decade and i just feel like at this point i'm like okay so this is what a large portion of you guys are into like that i i it'll be interesting to see if this hurts his popularity that's the thing that i don't i'm always fighting with myself about like would it be better if we just like ignored joe rogan that sounds so simplistic too but like a hate listen is a listen. And I think people forget about that. Talking about him is talking about him. So what if we were just like, okay, Joe Rogan and walked away? Like, would eventually Spotify be like, okay, this deal is over, you know, like when he loses audience or whatever. This is just building his audience, I think. us, I, But maybe maybe I'm naive. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you're naive. I think it's, it's a challenge to figure out. And, it, and then a lot of it will depend on his future actions, right? Is this an audience he's okay to court moving forward? Like, he's already been doing it sort of on the low, and it's made him a lot of money. But now that it's out there, is he going to be, like, a lot of white comedians who find themselves in similar situations? are like, oh, well, I'll just embrace it. Now I'm the right-wing, like, comedian who's going on tour, and I'll hook up with all my other buddies. I was joking with Justin the other day of, like, oh, I think it was Justin. But, like, him and Dave Chappelle are just going to go on tour now and, like, hang out and be like, oh, we're we're canceled comedians. And, you know, okay, fine. Then, then, then yes, it would not make sense for us to continue to sort of indulge. And I would be like, okay, well, now you have your audience and be happy and go away. I think his other option is to say, like, oh, I don't want to be that person. But then that's dangerous for him on whole and I just don't see him willingly taking his career like that. I think he'll take the same route everybody else does, which is like, if if you hate me, then fine, I'll just be worthy of your hate now. Just yeah, I think but. a I think a lot of people think he's a thought leader just because a lot of people listen to him, but I don't think he's particularly intelligent or insightful or anything like that. I think he's just some guy that has right. an yeah. audience. Right. Yeah, and he's a comedian. It, yeah, I think he talks openly about like drugs that was like i remember one of the early things that people were like dude this dude like takes dmt and like or whatever the psychedelic is that's like super intense and short-lived like he like talks about drug stuff and so i think that brought like some people in because like that's not your typical like tucker carlson isn't out here being like yeah i just did like acid and sat in a sensory deprivation booth and so people are like whoa he's like next level but then i think with a lot of people who are this successful a big feature of why they become as popular as they are is they have a part of them that just immediately reacts to whatever people seem to like right and Mm -hmm. like when you look at what who the other most popular podcasters are it's fucking dan bongino it's like, it, it's a lot of, like, right-wing shit. Like, that's why I'm saying, like, I I don't think this is a aber- aberration. I think this is who um, America, a lot of America is turning into. And, like, that's what I, I think is so scary. That's why I also think, you know, when people are like, yeah, the Trump stuff, like, he kind of fucked himself by, like, doing all of this illegal stuff. It's like, I think I think we're underestimating how much America is going in a white supremacist, like, you know, really terrifying right wing direction. Like the this is like he he's very popular. And I would assume that if he does what you said, Joel, and like kind of doubles down, 
he'll he'll remain very popular like and that's scary i mean that's that it, it just feels like a reflection of where we're at unfortunately it is scary yeah it is and like on a much less serious but much more cringe level when the other comedians start defending him on twitter like whitney cummings Oh my God. Did you see what she tweeted? It was so humiliating. Like, I felt bad for her. I don't feel bad for her. She's incredibly wealthy. But she said, comedians did not sign up to be your hero. It's our job to be irreverent and dangerous, to question authority and take you through the spooky, mental, haunted house so that you can arrive at your own conclusions. Like, stop. That's so embarrassing. Why would you say that? Like, if your job is just to insult, then you could just say that's not a comedian at all yeah. right like the idea of of challenging thoughts and trying to push like there are a lot of people who have made like incredible commentary through their comedy about difficult to talk about subjects without insulting entire groups of people without needing to rely strictly on racism you know there's a cisgender female comedian talking about um she's exploring like you know what does it mean for me as a cis person now that we're seeing like trans and non-binary people and how is that like impacting how i perceive my cisgenderedness you know and she does it in such a way that it's not you know oh look at these weird people but just like how does them just existing in and acknowledging and embracing their identity open doors for everyone around them how does it change my perspective of what just gender is in general I just I don't I it's so hard to be like why would you want to buy into the idea of like oh hate is the same thing as like expanding upon an idea it's not and like if you watch the Joe Rogan clip of him just I don't remember who his guest is we're just really giddy to get to say the n-word and it's like the most childish form of that sort of like racism <laughs> like i've been a child around like a black child around white kids and they're just like i'm gonna say it I, i'm not supposed it's like the one thing i'm not supposed to do I, i'm just gonna do it ah it's so funny you did it it's just it's it's so silly and, and kind of foolish and i think what's most depressing about all of this is that we've had to give this much time and thought into something so fucking dumb like just so silly and ridiculous and and unworthy of any really anyone's time or contemplation what this doesn't isn't doing anything for anyone other than like oh here's a guy who's clearly an idiot like if this is how you spend your time if this is what you think makes good content if this is what you want to dedicate your really impressive career to then you're foolish and and i just I wish we didn't have to engage with it. And I know that from a cultural standpoint, we do have to look at it and sort of take in the larger picture. What does this mean for us as a country? And and, and what do we want to do about it? How do we want to address, you know, young minds that are coming up? And how are we going to sort of change those who, you know, this is their idea? Like, I, again, I think it goes back to your earlier point, Catherine, about like somebody saying like, oh, you guys don't really care about the N-word. I think all of that is inherently involved in it and i just i don't think that we can scream any louder that we do care about it you know if we if we take into consideration um what's happening with critical race theory when we take into consideration the way black humans in this country are still treated it's it's just very exhausting to have to entertain i don't know yeah (laughs) i i mean right to to your point about like i i wish i didn't have to spend time talking about this like this we had a story about a new horny build-a-bear that like that demands coverage like that is something that our (laughs) listeners are never going to forgive us for not getting to on this episode but yeah just going back to like that this is a thing a a study i point to a lot but i think it's relevant to so so much so many things we've seen in America uh, since we started this show, but it was a like problem solving like they grouped people into problem solving groups, and some of the groups were diverse and some of the groups were not, and the they found that the groups that were not diverse in this scientific study were both worse at solving the problem, but also way more confident that they <laughs> had got the right answer. And then the <laughs> groups that were diverse were much better at solving the problems, but they were less confident. And so the like that feels like what we're seeing in a lot of these cases is like people 
giving each other the wrong answer, like white guys giving other white guys the wrong answer, but like mm-hmm. doing it in a way that makes them feel like really confident that like, wow, this is just how everyone thinks. And uh, you guys are just mad about this because of the COVID thing. You don't really care that he said the N word. And it's like, well, you clearly are <laughs> like are very isolated from how I feel about the world and that word and the the entire situation but like you are also clearly very confident in that point of view like it just feels yes so i don't know you see that in like these youtube rabbit holes that people go down and end up you know wanting to join jordan peterson's cult or whatever (laughs) like it's just there's something very conversational about podcasts and about youtube that allows people to just kind of soak in horrible, shitty opinions that are things they always suspected because they are also white guys who have the same fears and insecurities as these other white guys. And, you know, it ends up with what we're seeing here with real piece of shit being the most popular uh, (laughs) podcaster in America. And somebody yeah. who's being, like, defended by everyone. Yeah, I do think that people who do not work in media or entertainment also have this idea that if someone is, like, at the top of the charts or has a bestseller or something, mm-hmm. that means that, like, they deserve it. Like, their thoughts are worth learning about. But I think if you've worked in the industry or for a while, you're like, no, literally, sometimes things just hit. That's what it is. That's all it comes down to. Like, it, it's not meaningful that... Joe Rogan has an audience in the sense that, like, he didn't do anything. He's not particularly insightful or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, if you need any more proof, Moonfall came out this weekend and nobody went and saw it. It's like, come on. Come on, people. What the fuck is wrong with us? <laughs> well, Catherine, such a pleasure having you. Thank you. On Daily Zeitgeist, as always. Where can people uh, find you, follow you, all that good stuff? Let's see. Oh, I just started a TikTok uh, hey. at Catherine. Yeah, um, that's it. My name, and then like I'm on all the social medias under my name. And yeah, my podcast is Smart Mouth, which is two words. And then I also have a newsletter on Substack, so smartmouth.substack.com. And it is spelled. It's pronounced Spears, but it is not spelled like Britney. Just spelled. Hold on. S-P-I-E. Now I can't remember. S P I E R S. There it is. Yeah. That's okay. how you spell my last name. <laughs> <laughs> it's tricky. It is. <laughs> and is there a tweet or some of the work of social media you've been enjoying? There was a tweet that just made me go, <laughs> and it was by Armand Doma, who said, I am 32 years old and still deeply terrified that consuming anything from the hotel room minibar will bankrupt my entire family somehow. Yeah. I yeah. really remembered that feeling. <laughs> yeah. Is that I not like true? Has anybody fact checked that? I, still, I think that might be true. <laughs> Joelle, where can people find you? What is a tweet you've been enjoying? Yeah, uh, y'all know me. I'm Joelle Monique. You can find me all over the internet at Joelle Monique. It's J-O-E-L-L-E-M-O-N-I-Q-U-E. Um, CNN tweeted out, the next time you try to log into Internal Revenue Services website, you'll be urged to use facial recognition software to verify you are who you say you are. My good friend, Pre Chichabri, run with skizzers, says, can't wait to get an extension on my taxes because the IRS facial recognition software makes me up with another brown person. Lol, sob. Uh, mm. Which, true. Great. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Someone else said, I'm avoiding euphoria spoilers and then posted that image from the mask where dude's just like, <laughs> he hunches up his britches and his legs follow. That's my favorite. <laughs> um, anyway, I have one more here. The... Oh, an article from The Onion. Teacher fired for breaking state's critical race theory laws after telling students she's black, which is where we're headed. So mm. fun. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Jack underscore O'Brien. Uh, a couple of tweets I've been enjoying. Meg Stalter tweeted, what if we had to wash all our bones the way we wash our teeth would take a long time, which is true. <laughs> Adam Sirius <laughs> tweeted, wife, I don't know who to shoot. Clone him. Me. Me. <laughs> And then Pallavi Ganalan, one of our favorite guests here, said in response to that Whitney Cummings tweet, comedians will be like, it's our job to say things that make people uncomfortable and then can't even tell their racist friend to shut the fuck up. Which I thought was <laughs> kind of the best. Yeah. 
Ah, round of applause. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Daily Zeitgeist. We're at The Daily Zeitgeist on Instagram. We have a Facebook fan page and a website, dailyzeitgeist.com, where we post our episodes and our footnotes. Footnotes. We link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode, as well as a song that we think you might enjoy. And super producer Justin, we do like to ask you, do you, do you have a song that you think people should go check out? I do. Uh, thank you, Jack. I'm going to continue this Black artist trend of the amazing people that I'm on this journey discovering uh, for you guys. Uh, I ran into this rapper named Tyler Thomas. I haven't heard any of his other stuff before, but this track, Kamehameha, which is, you know, the phrase, I think it's from Dragon Ball Z that they say before their, their powerful move. It's an, an incredible track. Um, the slow tempo of the song and the space in between the notes really belies the energy that the lyrics and the the vocal performance on this track come with because you know you're gonna hear different lyrics like i don't pull it out just to show you i might have to hit you with that goku kamayamaya and then he just goes off and i think it, it, it's a real good way to start off your weekend if you're fighting those tuesday blues and and you need some energy listen to this tyler thomas track kamayamaya that will be in the footnotes at the bottom of the show notes there you go only day garfield hates more than mondays tuesdays all right. You know. uh, anyways, the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That's going to do it for us this morning. We are back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to y'all then. Bye.